0: I want you to imagine an eight-year-old little boy reciting a joke at his his parents' dinner party about the Dalai Lama named Sheldon. A Dalai Lama named Sheldon? At the very least, you have to chuckle. Well, that eight-year-old later went on to Harvard University and then attended the University of Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar. But the once eight-year-old turned adult never walked away from his interest in comedy and today as a professor of Yiddish Language, Literature, and Culture at Columbia University, where he also serves as Director of the Institute for Israel and the Jewish Studies and teaches in the American Studies Program and has recently authored Jewish comedy, A Serious History, I ask you to join me in welcoming today's guest, Dr. Jeremy Dauber. Dr. Delber, welcome to Mind Talk.
1: Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, you have been a very busy person. It sounds like since the age of 8.
1: <laughs> been trying to keep busy but also have a good time along the way. So, and then this uh, this book managed to combine both sides of that.
0: Well, that's a good thing. Now, the name of your book is Jewish Comedy: A Serious History. So, you have to explain to me why this is important. Why do we care about a history of Jewish comedy?
1: It's a good question. Uh, I think, you know, one reason that we care about uh, a history of Jewish comedy is because we care about the subject, or at least many of the people who have enjoyed the book so far say that to me. They really have had whether it's in their childhoods like mine or they came to it as an adult or something, some real attachment to particular works of Jewish comedy. And they've always felt, maybe um, unconsciously or inchoately, that um, there is something bigger about this, that it's connected to some kind of uh, tradition or that it says something more than simply uh, a matter of ha-ha entertainment. Not that that's not important in its own right, of course. Um, and I felt that way, too. And when I came to uh, start uh, studying literature uh, as a professor and, and start teaching about it, I really felt that there was some I, – and I discovered there was some real tradition. There was some way of putting all of these things to, that people cared about together. And uh, I, I started teaching about it. People liked it. And I said, you know, I think there's a book that will uh, – not, not – tell people to care because i'm not sure exactly how you do that but explain to them why they're right that they care and 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 tell the story behind what they care about
0: well you say that there are sub themes in jewish comedy what i mean the, the sub themes that you identify include a contemplation of power and the lack of uh... masculinity femininity tell me more about these sub themes that you've identified
1: well I uh, uh one of the things that I started out with was saying that was noticing that a lot of people I wasn't of course the first person to write about Jewish comedy uh and a lot of people f- said or you know thought that Jewish comedy was uh, susceptible to one explanation Jewish comedy is this or Jewish comedy is that and I thought well that doesn't really seem right because uh for every example that you give to say oh well see this shows you that Jewish comedy is really a, a response to persecution, let's say. Um, you would say, well, what about all this meaningful and profound Jewish comedy that doesn't have anything to do with that, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with that? To try and force it into that explanation would be kind of a straightjacketing it. So I thought about it for a while, and I came up with these various different sub-themes, as you said, these different strands of Jewish comedy that seem to do a pretty good job of covering most of it. Uh, and then I w- and, uh, in the book I decided to kind of tell their stories um, from sort of beginning to end, uh, and that was, that was what I did, and, and, and it seemed that these you know covered a lot of the main explanations. Some of them were better known to say, well, Jewish comedy is about a response to persecution, and some of them, I think, are less well-known about saying, well, Jewish comedy is sort of vulgar or raunchy or bodily-obsessed, which sometimes comes as a surprise to some of the people who read the book.
0: Well, actually, when I saw that, I was sort of surprised. So let's start with that one. Okay. how, How did that come into being? Why is that okay?
1: Well, I think those are. I think you know, in putting that question that way, or those two separate sub questions, I think you've really got into the crux of something that we think about comedy, which is to say, why do we find funny what we find funny, and should we find it funny? Right. Those are whether the is and the ought are very are are, are two different things here. So the reason I think that people find this stuff funny, or Jews find this stuff funny, is because people find this funny. We have a long trajectory in all comedy of uh, finding things that people do with their bodies funny. Right? finding them ridiculous, finding them laughable, right? and whether that is because the bodies aren't shaped the way that we think that they should be or because bodies do funny things when they fall down or when bodies do funny things um, when they are in intimate encounters with one another. All of those kinds of things, um, are, are, we laugh at them. Now, a lot of times we often say, uh, when we laugh at these things, we say, Oh, that's not funny. Right, which is really a way of saying, well we're actually finding this funny, but we know that it shouldn't be funny for all sorts of often very good uh, and, and and sometimes very moral reasons, um, the person you know it's not the person's fault uh, who one is laughing at. one shouldn't laugh at a person like this or like that, but that doesn't take away from the fact that people have been practitioners of this comedy for quite a long time. So we, you know, as a historian, you talk about the uh, appearances of these things and the effect of these things while also making sure to think about sort of the moral register and the moral calibers of whether we should find some of this material funny or not.
0: Well, when we find ourselves laughing at something that's really not funny but really is funny, Mm -hmm. How how does that impact us as individuals, do you think? Uh, That's a great question. I think that
1: a lot of times if we are uh, conscious about this process, um, it, it, it forces us, and I think increasingly this is a conversation that's going on in comedy, it forces us to examine our understandings of how we work as people. In other words... Let's take an example that is in the Bible, uh, you know, and and therefore is sort of as as old as written literature. The Bible sometimes traffics in fat jokes, right? The Bible makes fun of the book of Judges of one particular enemy of Israel and makes fun of him by uh, sort of at the expense of his weight, right? And uh, there's no question that this is designed as a kind of comic put down of this person and it fits in with one of the classic theories of comedy by uh, by articulated by the political philosopher Thomas Hobbes of saying well we we laugh at we punch down as as is the common uh, the contemporary parlance we we feel better about ourselves uh by making fun of people who we feel inferior to ourselves but to take the meta version of that then you sort of look and you say well is that really the kind of way that we should be feeling better about ourselves Maybe it's true that we could feel better about ourselves that way, but should we, really? Is that the kind of person I want to be in this world? And that kind of conscious thinking about jokes really can do a number of different things. It can make us feel guilty uh, about trafficking in those kind of jokes, telling them, enjoying them, uh, being, you know, spending money on things which traffic in them. It may make us sometimes change our particular uh, – um, how do I put this? Change our particular affect – towards those jokes, but, 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 or or sometimes come with our frailties as human beings of saying, look, sometimes we have, uh, responses as humans in ways that we would rather not do. And uh, some of the difficulty of humanity is sort of, uh, coming to terms with that and trying to train ourselves to understand that this is how, you know, human, you know, humanity works in some
0: ways. So if we're conscious of what we're saying or doing, it, perhaps speaks to our, our growth, our ability to grow, and our ability to learn as we look at ourselves in a healthy way. Is that reasonable?
1: I think, that's, I think that is reasonable. I think that it's also uh, another, the, the flip side of that is to a certain extent, letting ourselves off the hook slightly by saying, you know, um, not everything is under our control. Right. And to say, you know, oh, well, um, if I snicker a little bit at this thing, which I find inappropriate, uh, I, I, you know, I can grow by realizing that on the one hand, maybe this is not the kind of thing that I, I, I would like to be the person who is doing. But I mean to say that, well, people do this sometimes and it's regrettable, but, you know, there it is. You know, this is part of a long-standing human tradition. Uh, and the the, the, the calibrating between those two sides, trying to continue to change and recognizing who you are, I think, is part of what we are as human beings.
0: You say that for most of history, uh, Jews weren't particularly thought of as having much humor, and yet you have now created a rather thick book all about humor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think that this is, as,
1: as is so often the case, the difference between looking at a, 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 a person or, a group in this case, a group of people from the outside and looking at them from their own sort of self-understandings. Um, the reason the Jews weren't thought of as being funny for a lot of, certainly, of European history was because they were thought of by Christians, Western European Christians, uh, through the, the lens of their own theological set of expectations. And they, they they went something like this. They said, look, you know, these Jews, the essential fact of their existence – again, from the Christian lens, from the religious Christian lens, was that they missed out on the chance to accept Jesus as their Savior and be, uh, be saved in, in Christ. Uh, and as a result, uh, they've got to be unhappy because sort of metaphysically speaking, they've missed the boat, right? They're, they're, they're damned, essentially. Uh, and as a result, they must be melancholic and unhappy and miserable all the time. Now, that may be a, a perfectly sort of logical step-by-step Thing, but it does not really describe the person uh, you know, or the group themselves. Right? It's it, it simply sort of, uh, as you often say in the academy, it's essentializing them. It's taking one essential characteristic, a uh, constructed characteristic at that, and sort of making it permeate every aspect of their being. The Jews, of course, had a very different perspective. They said, look, we're people. We have all sorts of uh, different aspects to our lives, and sometimes we're happy and sometimes we're unhappy, and and, and, and we're just like anybody else in that respect. Um, if structurally we are unhappy in some ways, if that is the case, then we're unhappy because you're persecuting us as a result of all this, and we're a persecuted minority. But, um, you know, this is not uh, a, a fair assessment of the way that uh, – um, of the way the Jews actually thought about themselves.
0: So it's an interesting example uh, of showing how we tend to see what it is we expect to see or want to see, which in fact may be a very narrow view of what is.
1: I think that 's a very good way of putting it, uh, and I think that this happens of course all the time uh, and it happens, as I often say in sort of my lectures about this subject, my public lectures, that this is something that then then many of us who would entirely reject that notion of how Christians look to Jews, whether we're Jews or non-Jews, um, we think about Jewish comedy in this way. We say, well, all of Jewish comedy is kind of reduced to you know, a particular kind of understanding. It's a response to persecution or what have you, like we talked about before. Um, I think that you know one of the most difficult things for any of us is to sort of step back and say, let's, let's try and take as much as possible our lenses off, and let's let the other person, group, whatever, tell us what they find funny, meaningful... Uh, important etc and that's a big task
0: Uh, sounds like a use of what is one of my favorite words is the use of true curiosity
1: true curiosity yes I think that's right Uh, and and I think the the true there does a lot of great work because it's really saying I'm not going to be led by you know my my as I understand my 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 understanding of what the outcome is going to be in advance I'm actually gonna let the the other thing Dictate where it, whether it will, and I'll be interested in however it goes. Um, and that's always a, you know, that's always a very important characteristic. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting writing these book, this book, where you sort of say, well, first, what I'm going to do is find as much of the funny stuff as I can, and then I'm going to try and figure out what the categories are, as opposed to, you know, looking at the previous work and saying, well, here are the, these categories, and then kind of uh, trying to fit them into these different strands or something like that.
0: So a really interesting shift even in how you approach the book versus perhaps some other books that have, written, have been written about comedy. You, you talk about the book of Esther as the first work of Jewish literature to deal with anti-Semitism. Say more about that.
1: Yeah, I think that uh you know the the book of Esther which comes you know at the at the end of the Bible at the at the end of the Hebrew Bible historically speaking is a very important uh book for Jewish history and and of course for Jewish comedy because it is one of the first books of Jewish literature that deals with the Jews in a way that is recognizable to us today, which is to say as a minority in diaspora, surrounded by uh, a larger group that can be uh, very hostile, can range from being sort of friendly and supportive uh, to genocidally exterminative. exterminative. Uh, And... That is the situation in which the Jews have all too often found themselves over the last 2,000 years. Um, and, and the book of Esther sort of gives uh, a sense of how Jews might be able to navigate this, uh, not only in terms of what the actual actions, but their kind of understanding of uh, how to react to those actions. So as the old joke goes, if the ethos of every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat, um, that is a perfect uh, embodiment of the Book of Esther.
0: And, and, you know, even as you say that, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. I mean, there, there is something humorous about that. There's something sad about that. Um, and there's just so many pieces even to that brief little joke, which is really not so little at all.
1: I think that's exactly right. And I think that so many of the great Jewish jokes, not all, as I say, but so many of them are saying, here is this terrible situation. What we will do is we will turn it into a joke, but always be mindful of the fact that the joke is so minimal compared to the situation that uh, what is it, that it's twisted in all of these ways, It has all the sadness and pathos to it. Uh, And that is part of at least one very important strand of Jewish comedy.
0: I wonder if you would say that that comedy sort of in general, in many ways, is an attempt to deal with pain.
1: Uh, I think, you know, this is a great question because it gets to – the answer is yes, sometimes, right? Some kinds of comedy are very much an attempt to deal with pain and one of our most, I think, powerful and profound ways in humanity of dealing with pain. And some of it isn't, right? I mean, some of it, uh, you know, knock-knock jokes to take an example. I don't think that knock-knock jokes are particularly... Uh, would, would, would fall into that category, but they're a kind of comedy, too. Um, so I, I, I think that that was one of the things that I tried to do in the book, was to say, well aren't there parts of the Jewish comic experience, or let me put it a different way, there seem to be these parts of the Jewish comic experience, if we just sort of take the most capacious aspect of this, that don't seem to be dealing with pain in any particular way. So I don't want to try and shoehorn them into that. I want to say, well, is there another category that explains them better? Um, One of them, for example, is just the simple delight that intellectual, uh, textually minded Jews had with wordplay. Um and that doesn't seem to be about pain at all. It just seems to be with a delight in the world of text that they're in.
0: Just sort of playing with words. Exactly. Yeah. Folks Yeah. And I mean yeah, go on. Folks, you're listening to Jeremy Dauber here on Mind Talk, the author of Jewish Comedy A Serious History. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back and probably we'll be back with a couple of jokes. So don't go away. Jeremy Dauber author of Jewish comedy a serious history you say in the very beginning of your book that you can't start a book on Jewish humor without a joke and then you give a joke I'm going to ask you to share that joke with the listeners.
1: Uh, okay, so this is a joke that uh, often when I talk about it and in lectures, I say, you know, what makes this a Jewish joke? I'll tell you the joke, and then I say, well, what makes this a Jewish joke? And uh, it is a joke about herring. And you have these two Jews, and they're sitting next to each other, and one of them says, I've got a joke for you. Uh, he says, he says, what is green and nailed to the wall and whistles? The other one thinks for a minute, and he says, well, you know, look, I gave up. And he says, it's a herring. And the other one says, "Well, a herring isn't green." And he says, "Well, you know how hard is it to paint the herring green? You just take some green paint, you take a herring, there you go, it's green." He says, uh, "All right, but it's not nailed to the wall." And he says, "Well, I mean, again, how how hard is that? You get a hammer, you get a nail, you get a herring, you get a wall, you just put them all together, and boom, you have a herring nailed to the wall." And the guy says, "Well, all right, fine, but it it doesn't whistle." And he says, "Well, that part I just threw in to confuse you." And that's the joke. And part of what I say is, well, what exactly makes this joke Jewish? Is it that the fact that it's about herring, and so it has a kind of Jewish cultural context, or language context to it? Is it the fact that it has a kind of smart-alecky kind of sensibility to it? Is that what does it? Is it that it is sort of a a parody of a joke? It's not quite itself um, a a real joke. It doesn't sort of quite end like a joke. Um, Is it even somehow a metaphor for a kind of endless historical process. So I go through all of these things and, and, and say, well, you know, the truth is that I'm not 100% sure what makes it a Jewish joke, but that is one of the questions that, you know, we try and figure out in the, together in the lecture, in the book, um, of all of these different kinds of ways of looking at what makes it a joke or what makes comedy Jewish.
0: You speak of a fair amount um, about, well, you speak a fair amount about many things, but... <laughs> um, you you talk about the genre of the stupid gentile jokes how did they come to be and c- give us an example and your interpretation of it
1: okay well i think that uh, you know there is uh this is a widely spread kind of almost a mode, I wouldn't even call it a kind of, uh, you know, particular genre of of Jewish comedy, but it's in a lot of different things. And and it goes very, very far back. It certainly goes back uh, as far as the Bible of saying, you know, people who don't get with the program, with the Jewish program in some sense, uh, you know, they don't quite get it, right? And that comes, I think, from a context uh, originally in which, you know, the contest, so to speak, or the, the rivalry, or whatever you want to call it, between Jews and non-Jews, was one about theology. It was essentially a religious rivalry, and it was very simple. Someone's theology was right, and everybody else was wrong, and if you, and if you were uh, not of the particular party's religion or theology, then clearly you just weren't intellectual enough to get it. Uh, and that develops in Jewish texts into saying, well, we're the ones who are right, and all of them are the ones who are wrong, and we're the smart ones because we got it right, and they're the not smart ones. Right, uh, and um, you know, in the Talmud, so for example, you have all of these um, comic stories about how rabbis are speaking to sort of the crowned heads of the ancient world, and they say things like, "Oh, we are more powerful than gods," um, you know. We and someone says, "Oh, really? Well, you know, I have this question: um, Can you count all the stars in the sky, or something like that? How many stars are in the sky?" And the emperor says something like, "Well, don't be ridiculous. How can I know that?" And he says, "Well." you know how could you you know how could you think you're so big when you don't even know sort of these kind of questions i think that that kind of comedy uh very frequently however was expressed only on the page because in the situation in which the jews often found themselves to make these kind of jokes certainly outside of the jewish the very circumscribed jewish world and behind this scrim of a jewish language um you know could have gotten you in a lot of trouble uh and so this is the sort of circumstances of the theological uh, rivalry that was taking place that's embodied in these jokes.
0: Jeremy, so far, all of our conversation has essentially focused on the men who have been the creators of Jewish comedy. Any women we should be paying attention to?
1: Well, I think that, uh, you know, you're right that we've focused until now sort of largely on men. Uh and I think that part of that is because we've been focusing a lot of our conversation not on uh recent years, which I know we're gonna be talking about sort of in this last segment um, and unfortunately, the history of Jewish comedy, uh, you know, for most of its history, is the, is the same as the history of comedy for most of its history, which is the same as the history of, of literature for most of its history, which is that it was actively hostile to women, both in terms of allowing their voices to be heard as creators and producers of, of, of literature, and also even as subjects of the literature. And so unfortunately, there is, um, it needs to be said, but there is not a pretty history uh, of the presentation of women often in uh, Jewish comedy. They're all too often sort of the butt of jokes rather than uh, the, 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 the creators of jokes. Um, that really does begin to change uh, sort of in the 20th century, um, where you have uh, quite a number of very talented Jewish comedians, ranging from uh, Fanny Bryce to Sophie Tucker to Joan Rivers uh, to Elaine May to, to many others that begin to develop, to Bel Barth and what have you. And now I would say that in the 21st century, uh, a tremendous amount of the most exciting sort of uh, uh comedy, Jewish comedy, full stop, is being produced by uh, by women. Um, that includes uh, people like Sarah Silverman and, and Amy Schumer, although she's not quite as uh, Jewishly themed, to people like Rachel Bloom on the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or uh, uh, Abby Glazer and Alana Jacobson uh, on Broad City um to uh, uh, to many others uh, and and I, I think that's that that really we are seeing sort of the rise of a whole new set of voices which is very exciting.
0: Is there a general way in which these women comedians approach their work or would you say it is as varied as the work of the men who preceded them?
1: That's a great question. I think that as, um, the opportunities for women uh, to, uh, to produce comedy have expanded. Uh, there has been sort of uh, the opportunity to be, let's say, less of an ambassador to one's gender and more of simply pursuing one's own sort of comic voice. Uh, in that kind of way, so I think a lot of the stand up women, for example, of the early part uh, of uh, or for a lo- a large chunk I should say of the twentieth century, were really sort of exploring their roles as women in society right and that 's because that was part of this revolution of 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 being women who were speaking out about lives about this other this this voice that had been sort of tamped down in in public society more generally now, I think as time goes on um, You know, Amy Schumer, for example, or Sarah Silverman are certainly people who deal with being women, particularly Schumer, but they also explore lots of different issues. Sarah Silverman's new show really is not about gender, it's about politics uh, almost entirely. Um, Crazy ex girlfriend. Uh, it, of course, it's very much about being uh, about about gender, but it is also uh, about, um, for example, a love of sort of the whole American musical tradition and many other things. Besides, Broad City is really a, uh, primarily, I think, in certain ways, a kind of millennial comedy and sort of music comedy first, uh, not music comedy. Excuse me, physical comedy first, rather than um, rather than being, let's say, a gender comedy per se, whatever that might mean.
0: Can I uh, assume that at some point? you're going to break out into doing stand-up comedy, or, or should uh, we put that on the back burner?
1: I think sort of giving public lectures on the topic of comedy is going to sort of be my my uh, limited, uh, you know, that's going to be my, my limit to, to what I do with comedy. I, I admire uh, these men and women tremendously, but uh, I don't think this is quite my gig. Got,
0: gotcha. Dr. Jeremy Dauber, where can folks get more information about, you about the work you're doing what you're teaching and jewish comedy a serious history
1: well if you're interested in learning more about the book or if you're interested in uh, learning more about me and what i do and where i'm lecturing next please check out my website at jeremy dauber dot com, or you can follow me on twitter at jeremy dauber, D-A-U-B-E-R.
0: terrific Thank you so much for spending time with us today, and thank you for a delightful history lesson.
1: It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: All righty. And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. MindTalk is available to you on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. You can also download the MindTalk app from iTunes or Google Play. MindTalk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. I would love to know where in the world you are as you're listening to MindTalk. So do send me an email pamela p-a-m-e-l-a at mindtalk.org again that's m-y-n-d-t-a-l-k dot o-r-g and remember always if it's unacceptable then it's unacceptable